detect, not even your wife. But you can detect. And I'll tell you this, be careful, dear brothers, because these are the ways in which the devil makes you lose power over him. It can be a very careless attitude in the sexual area. Careless with our eyes and what we look at. That's that's all. That's all the devil wants. Just make you a little careless in that area. His aim is so that you have no power over him. He doesn't care how well you preach or what a good reputation you have in the church. The devil couldn't care less for that. So long as you don't have power over him. I want to keep my conscience sensitive so that I have power over Satan. I don't care what people think about me. That's absolutely zero importance to me. I want to make sure that Satan is scared of me. Make that your goal. If Satan is scared of you, know you're walking with the Lord. The only person whom Satan is scared of is one who's walking with the Lord in a clear conscience. He should be able to, you should be able to add your name there. The, the devil says, I know Jesus, I know Paul, and I know so and so as well. Yeah, that's my goal. I'll tell you honestly. I want the devil to say, I know Jesus, I know Paul, and I know Zach Kuhn. Why not add your name there? Don't you want the devil to recognize you? It's more important for the devil to recognize you than this whole world to recognize you. A lot of Christians who are recognized by the world, the devil doesn't recognize them at all because they're not godly. They're not humble. They're not overcoming sin. They love money. Most preachers I've met, they're such lovers of money. (laughs) The devil's not scared of them one bit. They can be world famous, but the devil doesn't care for them. Dear brothers, if you are a member of RLCF, you have a tremendous responsibility to keep this church strong for the Lord. you got to do your part. You can't do somebody else's part, but you got to do your part and love the Lord fervently. You don't have to preach great sermons. You may have no gift of preaching or teaching, but you faithfully committed to the church. You come there regularly. You pray for the church, and maybe you can't even sing properly. But you support the church in your spirit and you're keeping your heart clear and full of love for the Lord. You are a tremendous strength to the church even if you don't open your mouth. Because you're a person who the devil's scared of. I pray that RLCF will be full of such people. That's the only type of church that the Lord wants. It doesn't, your numbers don't matter. Maybe only 30, 40 people. It can be the most powerful church in your whole state of Colorado. If you are those type of people. That is God's will. And that is why in that connection I always say. You must always see whether your heart is at rest. You know the New Testament speaks a lot about coming to rest. Jesus said. Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest in Matthew chapter 11. Please turn with me, Matthew 11. You know this verse. This is a verse that is quoted very often to unbelievers. Matthew 11, 28. Jesus is inviting you, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Yeah, in one sense it's true. Rest in the sense of freedom from the guilt of sin, which is, can be a very heavy burden. But I've come to see, having got that rest, 
There are a lot of believers, you ask yourself, who are in unrest about something else. Something or the other causes them some unrest. Unrest in their heart, unrest in their home. And the Lord is saying to such people too. I believe the Lord is saying to all of us, come to me. I don't want you to be in unrest in your heart at any time about anything. I will give you rest. You can't produce it. It's not by some psychological technique that you bring rest. God has to give it to us. All of us will acknowledge that I cannot produce the forgiveness of sins myself. Agree. God has to give it to me. I cannot produce salvation myself. The Lord has to give it to me. But we think that we can produce rest ourselves. Impossible. The Lord says, I will give you rest. You've got to come to me. And if you want it, it says in the next verse, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me day by day. Learn about by gentleness and my humility. You will find rest. The rest I want to give you, you will find it if you come to me and learn humility and gentleness. There is a rest that remains for the people of God. We read in Hebrews. You know, the Old Testament is full of picture language. Put the blood on the doorposts. Kill the lamb and put the blood on the doorposts. John the Baptist said that the lamb of God is Jesus Christ. That lamb was a picture of Christ whose blood protects us from the angel of death. That's a symbol there. What about going into the river, into the, sorry, into the Red Sea and coming out the other side? That's a picture of water baptism. And Egypt is a picture of the world where we finish with the world and in baptism we are saying, I finished with the world and I'm coming out on the other side. Yeah, these are beautiful pictures. What about the pillar of cloud that came from above? That's a picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Everything in the Old Testament is a picture. And the purpose of the cloud coming was not to just to give them some excitement. This is where I disagree with my friends, the Pentecostals. They think this is some excitement. No. You know in the Old Testament, what was the purpose of that pillar of cloud? Not to excite the people. What is the purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit? It was to lead the people day by day in their life. They had to follow the cloud until they entered the land of Canaan. Canaan was a picture of a life of victory where all the giants of sin are killed. And so the purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is to lead you day by day by day to enter into the life of victory. Everything in the Old Testament had a meaning. And so the Sabbath, what is the meaning of the Sabbath? The Sabbath was a picture of the life of rest God wants us to have all the time. And the land of Canaan is also a picture of a life of rest God wants us to have all the time. When we fight the giants and kill them, but it's a life of rest. Turn with me to Hebrews in chapter 3.
He's talking about exactly what I was speaking about here. Hebrews 3, verse 15. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts like your fathers did when they provoked me. Verse 16. Who provoked the Lord? Not all who came out of Egypt. Joshua and Caleb did not provoke him, but the majority did. With whom was God angry? Verse 17. For 40 years, with 600,000 people who refused to enter the land of rest, Canaan, and their bodies fell in the wilderness. But then, to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? Those 600,000 people. Why could they not enter the land of Canaan? Verse 19, because they did not believe. What did they not believe? They did not believe God can kill the giants of Canaan and give us the land. That is unbelief. I've been a slave to anger. God cannot kill it. Sorry. It's too powerful. This anger of mine is so powerful. Even the Holy Spirit cannot finish with it in my life. My lusting with my eyes is so powerful that even the Holy Spirit cannot help me to overcome it. This murmuring and complaining is so characteristic of my life that even the Holy Spirit will not help me to overcome it. That is unbelief. They could not enter in. Why? You know Joshua and Caleb. What was the difference between Joshua and Caleb and all those 600,000 people? Only one thing. They didn't have more muscles. They said, we believe. God is more powerful than that giant and that other giant and the other giant in Canaan. God is more powerful than all of them. That is how they entered into rest, into the land of Canaan. And then it says here, they were not able to enter those 600,000 people, Hebrews 3.19, because of their unbelief. Come to me, I will give you rest. They could not enter that rest. Therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, it's all a continuous same thought. Let us today who are reading this be afraid lest a promise comes is given to us to enter into his rest. There is a promise. Come to me, learn from me, and you will find rest. The promise is there. But you may come seem to come short of it just like those 600,000 people. You can be left out in the wilderness. Let us fear. I want to have that healthy, holy fear of ever having unrest in my heart. Ever. Due to anything. Due to some calamity, which I think even Almighty God cannot handle. (laughs) Due to some COVID-19 or COVID-20 or COVID-120, I don't care which it is. I'm not going to get into unrest. I want to be wise. I want to be careful. I don't want to unnecessarily expose myself to infection. There's no wisdom in that. But I don't want to live in fear one single second. No. I don't want, I want to be at rest all the time. Because my God is more powerful than everything. 
I don't try to tempt God by jumping off the roof of the temple saying God will protect me. That's what some people do. They do stupid things and say, oh, God will protect me. He won't. If you do something stupid, God will not protect you. If Jesus had jumped off the temple, he'd have died. He can't say the angels will protect me. But there are people who do that. You know, I've met not a lot of people like that. They're sick and they won't take medicines and they die. Actually, pastors, preachers who preach healing only by faith and without medicines, they die. What do they gain by that? They jump and say, God will protect me. They're not protected. And God has provided medicine and they don't take it. It's like in the temple, there were stairs provided to go down. You don't take the stairs and you jump off the roof of the temple, you die. That's what Jesus didn't do. There are a lot of people who have got a foolish idea of faith. Faith means doing something stupid to show that I have great faith, usually for seeking honor. All these people do that just to get honor from people. I'm a man of great faith. I have no desire to prove to you that I'm a great man of great faith, not at all, or anybody. I want to actually have faith before God, which means a dependence upon God. That's all it means. To me, faith means a helpless dependence upon God for anything. Even if it is for a small thing like preaching a sermon. I say, Lord, I can't do it. I'm helplessly dependent on you. If you help me, I'll say something. If you don't help me, it'll be an absolute flop. In the same way in everything in life. Faith is just that helpless dependence upon God. Like some of you heard a couple of weeks ago what Sandeep spoke there about the helpless one. Helping that person to climb up. And that's how Jesus the Father helped Jesus, and now Jesus helps us. It's faith is exercised by the helpless person who says, Lord, hold my hand. Just like the Father helped you, and you've shown us an example. I want to walk the same way. I'm helpless. And you're the one who helps the helpless. That's faith. A helpless dependence upon God. There is a a promise of entering rest given to us. Let us fear, chapter 4, verse 1, that you come short of it. That is the danger. He goes on further to say in chapter 4, verse 9, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And the one who has entered into God's rest has himself rested from his own works We don't do our own works to earn salvation. And I'll tell you, we cannot do our own works to get victory over sin. When grace is upon us, sin cannot rule over us. Romans 6.14 If grace is not, not upon us, no matter how much you work, you'll be defeated. We must always seek To remain under the grace of God. If grace is upon us. Sin will not rule over you. It's a law. It cannot rule over you. It cannot pull you down. It's something like these rockets. Once they go beyond some 150 or 250 miles. The gravity of earth cannot pull it down anymore. It pulls it down up until that point. But once it breaks past that point. It just shoots up. Gravity cannot pull it down anymore. Think of being able to live such a life where sin cannot pull us down. That is to enter into rest, dear brothers and sisters. 
all of us must seek to live this life every day in our home first of all in our heart in our home in the church must begin in the heart if there is unrest in my heart it will finally bring unrest in the home and then unrest in the church so i got to watch my heart with all diligence like proverbs forces watch your heart with all diligence for from it flow all the issues of life proverbs chapter 4 i think it's verse 23 i don't remember very important watch your heart with all diligence for out from it flow all the issues of life and what should i watch there that i'm always at rest that i believe with all my heart that there's no giant that's god cannot overcome and make me possess that territory that area of my life which some giant has been ruling for so long i want to say to you in jesus name whatever area of your life some giant has been ruling there which maybe even your wife doesn't know your husband doesn't know you know it i want to say to you in jesus name god can help you to overcome that giant and you can come to rest in that area and like the israelites occupied the land of canaan little by little by little by little by little by little by little that's what i've discovered occupying the land of canaan inside my heart little by little by little by little by little by little that is spiritual growth where area by area by area you come to rest rest here and then rest in that area and rest in that area and rest in that area rest in that area if you fervently plead with the lord lord i want to enter into rest in every area in the sexual area in the financial area in relationship area in my home i want to enter into rest at any cost and with no spirit of competition with anyone oh beware of competition beware of comparing yourself with other believers in the church beware of competition to show that you're more spiritual i mean that happens in some churches where one preacher wants to show that he's better than the other one i hope such stupid things will never happen in our midst let me show you this verse in second corinthians in chapter 10 i call this verse if you'll excuse my expression how to be a spiritual idiot how to be a spiritual idiot second corinthians 10 12 those who measure themselves with each other and compare themselves with one another they are spiritual idiots so paraphrase how to become a spiritual idiot compare yourself with other believers in your church measure yourself with other people it's all these are they are spiritual idiots they have no understanding what do you think of a man who's got no intelligence and no understanding that's what we call an idiot and that's what it says here all you have to do to become a spiritual idiot is to compare yourself with other people in your church and think that you are better that's all you got to do 
or co- compare something you're doing with other people and try to compete with people to show that you can do that better. <laughs> Imagine the competition to become spiritual idiots. Have you heard of such a thing? This is the craziness in so many Christians. The devil absolutely makes fools of Christians. And that's why they have so little spiritual power. And that's why God does not back them. We must have a great longing that God will back us in everything we do. That's been my passionate desire and it grows more and more. I say, Lord, I don't care two hoots what anybody in the world thinks about me. But I want you to back me. And I want to walk in humility. I'm willing to learn humility and gentleness from you all the time. And I want you to back me. I want the devil to be scared of me. Will you pray that prayer for yourself? It doesn't mean if, it doesn't matter if you were born again yesterday. Absolutely new believer. You don't have to be a believer 20, 30 years. It depends on how wholehearted you are. Not how long you've been a believer. That a lot of people have been believers for ages. The devil just laughs at them and says, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Does the devil speak to you like that? Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? (laughs) You're nobody. I know all about what you're living for. I know all about the things in your inner life. Don't try to fool me, the devil says. You can fool all the others. You can't fool me. Shame on us if the devil can rebuke us like that. Be a man and a woman who says, I'm going to put the devil to shame in my life and in my home, first of all. Don't look for a big ministry in the church. Look for a big ministry in your home, first of all, in your home relationships. That's most important. That innermost circle in your heart, then in your home, then the church. In your heart first. You come to complete rest. You've got no bitterness against anyone. You've forgiven everybody in the whole world who did anything against you. And you always live in that spirit of forgiveness. And you always live in that complete freedom from competing in others. And also one more thing. I've been talking about this more recently. Stop pointing the finger at others. Give up that habit. Please turn to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, the Lord says, I will make your life like a watered garden. That's the promise in Isaiah 58, verse 11. In the middle of verse 11, Isaiah 58 and verse 11, See the middle of that verse. You will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Ah, what a wonderful spiritual promise. What do you have to do? Verse 9, last part. Stop, give up this pointing of the finger at others. Accusing others. You, 
so much in husband and wife. You, you, you did this. You said this. It's because of you. You know where it started? You know, when God asked Adam, did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat? You know what Adam did? He pointed his finger. This woman, he didn't stop there. And he pointed his finger at God. You gave me this woman. That's where this pointing of the finger started. You gave me this man to be your husband. You gave me this woman to be your wife, my wife. That's the cause of the problem. This pointing of the finger at God. Why did you give me this personality? Why did you give me this type of circumstance in my life? Why did you give me such poverty? Or why did you give me this thing or that thing? Why did you give me such a husband, such a wife, or such circumstances, or such a job? Why did you do this, Lord? You will always be in unrest all your life. Finish with it today. Lord, I never want to point my finger at you or anybody else. I want to point it at myself. Help me to judge myself every day. If we judge ourselves, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 30, we will not be judged in the final day. I've taken that verse very seriously. I seek to judge myself every single day. If there's any little thing that comes up, I want to judge myself. There's something unchristlike still left in me. Do you believe that? Maybe you can't see it. But if you have not become 100% like Christ, and none of us have become 100% like Christ, there's still something unchristlike in us. Lord, show it to me. I have a passion in my life, forgetting how much I have achieved in the past, to press on for the prize of the high calling of becoming like Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was doing. Let's do that. And that way, even if you never preach a sermon, you'll be making the greatest contribution for building RLCM into a strong body of Christ. May God help you all. Amen.